Should you be worried about microchips? Could the technology that's made life more secure and productive be paving the way for the mark of the beast? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah considers the mark described in Revelation 13 and clears up the misinformation that has long surrounded it. From his series, Signs, here's David to introduce today's message, The Mark of the Beast. Well, it's in many secular movies. It's in many um, frightening books, and it's discussed a lot on talk shows. And anytime some new marking device is invented, it revives the discussion all over again. The Bible says that during the tribulation period, the Antichrist, the beast from the sea, and his partner, the beast uh, from the earth, the false prophet, will institute a program where you will have to have their mark on your hand or in your forehead, or you will not be able to buy or sell. You will be um, set aside from, from society. And the mark of the beast is one of the, the big strategies of Satan during the tribulation period. We're going to spend today and again on Monday talking about what that means and how it should affect all of us who are Christians. Did you know that Jesus has a mark as well? His name is on our heart. And we're going to talk about these markings in these next two days. I hope you'll stay with us. This is really interesting information. Uh, I have in my hand a copy of the study guide for this series. Could I just go back and give you um, a, a little bit of a prize on how this all works? We have done a three-month series called Signs, 31 Undeniable Prophecies of the Apocalypse, one of the most uh, received and re- requested series we've ever done. Uh, it's based on a book called The Book of Signs, which is 460 pages. And there are three study guides that go along with it. We're in study guide number three. In fact, today uh, we're in the middle of the study guide. Uh, this lesson on uh, the mark of the beast is lesson a number 25 in the 31 lessons. And uh, you can get these study guides from Turning Point by going to davidjeremiah.org. There you will see uh, pictured the study guide material. You can order it. They will send it to your home, and you'll be able to follow along, not just listening every day, but also following in the in the words of of the text and it will help you learn and put all this information together. I hope you'll take advantage of it. But right now, we need to get started with our discussion of the mark of the beast. If you had access the search engine Google on October the 7th, 2009, you would have noticed that the usual Google logo had been replaced with a Google Doodle. A simple barcode. If you rolled your mouse over the doodle, you would have seen the caption, Invention of the Barcode. A little research explains that that doodle marked the 57th anniversary of the granting of the first patent for what is now the ubiquitous universal product code. That little bar that's on every product and newspapers and everything that you take through the scanning 
at the grocery store or whatever stores you purchase products from. That patent was granted to two American graduate students, and the first use of the scanning technology occurred at the checkout of the Marsh Supermarket in Troy, Ohio, in 1974. As someone said, that was one historic pack of gum. (laughs) Well, that was then, and this is now. In 1974, we barcoded products. Today, we are barcoding people. In his best-selling book, Shadow Government, Grant Jeffrey writes, many military intelligence agencies, government agencies, and large corporations have introduced sophisticated security systems requiring employees to wear a badge containing a radio frequency identification microchip, referred to as an RFID chip, that enables companies, agencies, and organizations to monitor the location and the activity of every worker during every moment that he or she is on the premises. When an employee enters the office, a computer records the exact time and begins monitoring his or her every move throughout the day. Security sensors at strategic locations throughout the office record the location and the duration of the activities of the wearer of the badge. Now, I know that some of you who may feel like you have lazy employees would think that to be a good thought, but if you think it through, it's a pretty frightening thing. New technology is making it feasible now for RFID microchips to be painlessly implanted beneath the skin. Kevin Warwick, a professor of cybernetics at Reading University in England, claims to be the first person in the world to be voluntarily implanted. Warwick experimented on himself by implanting a sophisticated computer chip that enabled him to transmit signals to the university's communication system. The implanted device was 3 millimeters wide and 23 millimeters long, and it emitted unique signals that you could only hear if you had transmitters working in what they called an intelligent building. Most of us can still remember the horrible scenes of death after the tragedies of September 11th in 2001. We remember the sacrifice of the New York City policemen and firemen that were made on behalf of the victims of that terrorist attack. As a means of ensuring their own identification, should they become victims, many of them wrote their badge numbers on their bodies. And an enterprising American company reading about that saw the need of positive identification in such emergencies and went to work on what is now called the Verichip. In 2004, the FDA approved the resultant rice grain-sized RFID microchip for implanting under the skin of humans to provide personal information in emergency situations. Did you hear that? a chip the size of a grain of rice implanted under the skin. You cannot believe how much information can be held in that microchip. Now, while all this information is fascinating, if you're like me, it's also somewhat frightening. At our current pace, it's not going to take many more years for the privacy of Americans to be added to the list of the memories of the good old days. (laughs) Yes, Technology of modern tracking devices is amazing, and especially to those of us who read the Bible, because we know about the prophecy of the mark that will identify the followers of the Antichrist in the end times. 
But there is something that is even more stunning to me, and I want to show it to you today before we get involved in this discussion of Revelation chapter 13. Did you know that the Bible predicted where we are today over 1,900 years ago? The fact that the words of Revelation 13 were penned in the age of wood and stone, swords and spears and Roman togas makes the prophecy of Revelation 13 one of the most powerful proofs that God's word can be trusted. Who could have predicted a one-world economic system that controls all commerce but God? Here's how he does it. Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other I am God and there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done saying my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Only God can declare from ancient times things that are not yet done. And he predicted where we are today 19 or more hundred years ago. And this astounding prophecy about the mark of the beast, which is able to be fulfilled with today's technology, is just one more compelling piece of evidence that the God of the Bible is the true and living God and that the Bible is his inspired, inerrant word. And that's what we're going to see today as we go through this study. Now, one of the questions that is often asked when we speak of the Antichrist or the mark of the beast is this. If these events take place during the tribulation period, and I am a Christian who is raptured to heaven before the tribulation period, why should I be concerned about something that happens on earth after I'm gone? And that is a reasonable and logical question, and I believe the answer to be just as reasonable and just as logical. You see, the events that are described in Revelation 13 that take place during the seven years of tribulation will take place at the middle of the seven years. We know that from the study of the scripture. So three and a half years into the seven years of tribulation, the events we're going to talk about today will transpire. Now listen carefully. If we believe as we do that the rapture could happen at any moment, that there's not anything yet that needs to take place before Jesus comes to receive us to himself, if we believe it could happen at any moment, and if the tribulation takes place immediately after that, then what that means is that we could be within three to four years of the events of Revelation 13 actually happening on this earth. And believe it or not, those events are not going to take place catastrophically. They're not going to just start. There will be a buildup to these events that takes place over a number of years. And ladies and gentlemen, we're in the buildup. We're in that period of time where we're beginning to see the technology that will be necessary to fulfill the prophecy of Revelation 13. And it's unfolding right in front of us as citizens of this nation. So this is not just stuff to read about and learn about. It is important because we could be on the very threshold of these things taking place. Now, in all of our studies in prophecy, we have consistently warned that future events cast their shadows before them. And the events of the tribulation cast their shadows before them. To say it simply, we're living in the shadows. And the shadows predict the coming of the event. Now, the biblical setting for the mark of the beast is found in Revelation chapter 13. And I'm going to go through this chapter, so I want you to find this in your Bible. You may have a different translation, but you'll be able to follow this as we go along. 
Here the Apostle John describes the vision that God gave to him concerning events of the future. And these events form the centerpiece of the seven-year tribulation period. It is here in Revelation chapter 13 that we are introduced to the global population control system, the end times. We know this, we speak of it as the mark of the beast. Now I want you to notice what John tells us about the mark of the beast beginning in the early parts of the chapter. First of all, you need to understand that this mark, this control mark is originated by Satan. All of this is born in the mind of Satan. Revelation 13, 2 says, The dragon gives him his power, his throne, and his great authority. One of the great descriptions of Satan is given to us in Revelation chapter 12. Turn over in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9, and notice what it says. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. In Revelation chapter 12, we are told that the devil and his angels are cast down to the earth. In Revelation chapter 13, we begin to see how he is going to take his power and control and totally corrupt everything that he touches. In the 13th chapter, in Revelation, Satan's driving motivation is very clear. Do you know what the driving motivation is that keeps Satan going? It is the desire to be worshipped. Do you remember back in Isaiah when we are told about Satan being cast out of heaven the first time? And remember the words that Isaiah put in his mouth? Here's what he said. I will be like the most high God. Satan is driven by this compulsion to be worshipped. Do you remember when he took Jesus out into the wilderness to tempt him? And he offered Jesus the kingdoms of the world if what? If he would bow down and worship him. Now at this particular point in history, Satan has come to the conclusion that nobody is going to do this voluntarily, or at least not many. So he is going to institute a program that requires people to worship him. And one of the things that will happen at the end of the age, and we could live to see much of this, in fact, there's some evidence that it's already starting, is there will be an incredible return on the part of many people to the worship of Satan, and Satanism will begin to grow, and we see evidences of that even in our culture today. Satan's driving motivation is to be worshipped. And as we study this chapter, we're going to see how he tries to make that happen. Now, at the outset of our discussion, it's important to understand one thing. Satan is a copycat. He's the world's greatest imitator and counterfeiter. I don't think he's ever had an original idea in his whole career. Everything he does is a counterfeit of what God does. For instance, God is a trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Here in Revelation 13, we're going to learn that there is an unholy trinity, Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. Satan mimics everything that God does. In the trinity, in the holy trinity, what is the ministry of the Holy Spirit? The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to bring glory to Jesus Christ. In the unholy trinity, we shall discover that the ministry of the false prophet is to cause people to worship the Antichrist. Everything Satan does is counterfeit. 
And just as the ministry of God, so you will watch and see Satan trying to do what God does so that he can get the worship that he desires. This whole plan of the mark of the beast originates with Satan. But secondly, the mark of the beast is ordered by the Antichrist. And we learn about this once again in Revelation 13. We read, I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a beast, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The devil gave him his power, his throne, and his great authority. John's vision of the coming of the Antichrist is shown to him as if it were a beast rising up out of the sea. And if you are a student of prophecy, you know that this beast is a composite of the four animals that Daniel saw in his prophecy in the Old Testament. In Daniel's prophecy, these four beasts represented the four kingdoms that would arise one after the other, from Babylon to Medo-Persia to Greece and to Rome. When John describes this beast, he sees it, and he sees it in a very graphic way. He sees seven heads and ten horns. It's ten crowns in its blasphemous name. Many believe this is a picture of the revival of the Roman Empire, but it is also the picture of the ruler of the revival of the Roman Empire, the Antichrist himself. And the Bible says here in Revelation that this beast has a look about him as a leopard. And many Bible scholars have noted that the leopard is the one beast that represents the three major races of colors of people. For instance, the leopard is brown like an Asiatic. It has a white stomach like the European or Caucasian. And it has black spots that align it with the African peoples. The leopard combines the colors of the three main races of people. And the Antichrist will be such an international figure. He will bring the peoples of the world together under his dynamic leadership. And according to John, this beast, this Antichrist, gets all of his power, all of his throne, all of his great authority from the devil himself. Just as when Jesus walked upon this earth, he did only those things which pleased the Father the Antichrist walks upon the earth and is filled with the power of Satan. And the evil activity of the Antichrist is given to us, and I must summarize this because we can't study every single verse. But if you read the next few verses here, you'll discover that the evil activity of the Antichrist is described in verses 3 through 11. And we are told that the Antichrist causes the world to worship him and to worship Satan. Once again, what is Satan's driving motivation? To be worshipped. And the Bible says the Antichrist is helping Satan get his goal to be worshipped. As the official voice of Satan, the Antichrist speaks great words of blasphemy against God. And he makes war with the saints. And all who dwell on earth, whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, worship Satan and worship the dragon who empowers him. How frightening to us. To realize that the final form of evil in the world in which you and I live will be that moment when people no longer worship the God of heaven, but they worship Satan of hell. And Satanism will be the universal worship of the world for those who have not 
had their names put in the Lamb's Book of Life. The mark is originated by Satan. It's ordered by the Antichrist. But here's the third thing. The mark is orchestrated by the false prophet, the third person of the unholy trinity. And here's where we're going to spend the rest of our time because the false prophet, this second beast that we read about in Revelation 13, is the one who manages all of this. He orchestrates it all on this earth. During the time when Satan is controlling the population of the world and getting everyone to take the mark and to bow down and worship him, it is the false prophet, the religious leader, if you will, who is going to orchestrate all of this and make all of this happen. Now let's read about him in Revelation chapter 13. First of all, his description. And I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke like a dragon, and he exercises all the authority of the first beast, or the Antichrist, in his presence, and he causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Now please note the description of the second beast or the false prophet. The Bible says that this creature looks like a lamb, but he has a voice like a dragon. He looks like a meek and mild lamb. Now why would Satan ever design the false prophet to look like a lamb? What is Satan's mode of operation? Counterfeit. What does the Bible say about Jesus? He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Satan creates his Jesus like a lamb. Unfortunately, as you look deeper, you discover that Satan's lamb is really a ravenous wolf. He is in reality a Satan-possessed man who exercises authority and power in the name of the Antichrist. And the Bible says he does miraculous things to cause the whole world to bow down and worship the Antichrist and his image. I just want to insert this because I want to bring this back to where we are today. Let me say this to you, ladies and gentlemen. All the false prophets aren't going to be in the tribulation period. We got some of them around now. And the Bible says in Matthew chapter 7, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. That's a warning for today. The false prophet in this chapter, Revelation 13, is the epitome of every false prophet who has ever gone before him. And Jesus said, we need to be warned against false prophets who come with the voice and with the personality and with the calmness of a lamb, but who inwardly are ravenous wolves. So we have the description of the false prophet. Now notice the deeds of the false prophet. Here is this third person of the unholy trinity, Revelation 13, 13. The Bible says he performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. You say, can Satan make people do that? Let me tell you something. We underestimate our enemy, do we not? Satan is not God's equal he is not the opposite of God. Satan is a creation of God, as you know. Lucifer was created by God. So God and Satan aren't opposites. But let me tell you something, friends. Satan has incredible power. And he can do some wondrous things. And the Bible says that the false prophet, Satan's partner in all of this, stands before the men in the tribulation and he calls fire down from heaven. You say, why would he do that? It's the only miracle, per se, that we see him doing at this particular place. Well, of course, there's an answer to that, and I'll give you that answer on Monday. Why the fire? 
why the fire in this particular place? There is an answer, and we'll talk about it after the weekend. Hey, it's um, time to get ready for Sunday, time to get ready for church, time to get ready to go and uh, serve the Lord. I hope that many of you are a part of the serving team. Wherever I go, um, I'm amazed at how many of God's people are working um, full-time jobs during the week, but have extensive ministries in their churches with children, with young people, with adults, with men, with women, uh, with outreach to the prisons. And uh, friends, that's where the joy uh, of serving the Lord is. It's in ministry to others. And I hope you find a way to do that this weekend. Get to church, watch us on television if it's possible. And uh, we'll be back here on Monday with part two of The Mark of the Beast. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, Signs, 31 Undeniable Prophecies of the Apocalypse, visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's new book, After the Rapture. An End Times Guide to Survival, which answers the question, what's next? It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions, available in a variety of attractive cover options. Get the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us Monday as we continue the series, Signs, right here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Are you looking for a simple way to talk with unbelievers about the end times? This month, for a donation of any amount, you can receive Dr. David Jeremiah's newest book, After the Rapture, An End Times Guide to Survival. And for $40 or more, you can receive two copies of this book to share with unsaved friends. Or for a generous donation of $85 or more, you'll also receive an additional booklet and DVD to help you refresh your knowledge of the end times. Go to davidjeremiah.ca to get your copy today. Turning Point presents the Jeremiah Study Bible. Jumpstart your Bible study with more than 8,000 study notes from Dr. Jeremiah to help you discover what the Bible says what it means, and what it means for you. Available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard Version in standard print. For more details or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. If you've enjoyed today's program with Dr. David Jeremiah, you might be interested in hearing it again at your convenience. Stay connected to Turning Point by visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca or by downloading our free Canadian mobile app. The app can be found by searching for Turning Point Canada on your smart device app store. Create an account and order digital resources from today's program with easy one-click checkout at davidjeremiah.ca. A bulletin written in 1938 to missionaries in China said that the Chinese word for crisis was made of two characters that meant danger and opportunity. And American presidents and politicians popularized this motivational idea. But Chinese scholars today beg to differ, saying the two characters more accurately represent danger and crucial point instead of danger and opportunity. 
Well, I'll wait for the Chinese scholars to settle the matter while benefiting from both sides. The crisis is usually a dangerous moment that represents a crucial opportunity for God to step in and do what only He can do. We only need to give Him room. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's role in your crisis on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.